And I want to invite you right there to take your Bible out if you're at the kitchen table or maybe uh, at the coffee table, wherever you may be, and open the Bible tonight uh, to our uh, theme text, Psalm 103, Psalm chapter 103. And we're going to find the starting place here tonight. And I want to bring you a Bible study that I hope will be a help for every member of your household. And I've titled this study, Loving Expectations. Uh, I've been in my Sunday school class dealing with a number of things that will help to build a solid Christian home. And uh, tonight's message is an outgrowth of one of the uh, lessons that I developed for the Sunday school class, but something that nevertheless I believe is needful for every person to lay a hold of. And uh, I've titled it, as I mentioned, Loving Expectations, or uh, we might say, a heart like His. And in Psalm chapter 103, if we would begin in verse 13, the Bible says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. For He knoweth our frame, He remembereth that we are dust. I don't know what you think about that, but that is a passage of Scripture that really gives me a great deal of comfort. Because what it explains to me is that the One who made me knows what my tolerances are. He knows what can be expected of me, and He knows not to put too much upon me because I'm just formed out of dust just like you. And so the Lord remembers that. And there's nothing that the Lord calls us to do that by His grace... He does not enable us to perform. And the truth is that I believe that contained in this verse is a principle that all of us need to just lay a hold of and understand that our Lord, like a father, pitieth His children. And the Bible says this, He knoweth our frame, He remembereth that we are dust. And I believe tonight that we need to just pause for a moment and consider God's loving expectations and how that idea translates into all of the relationships that we have in this life. And let's go to the Lord just for a moment. Father God, we pray that you would open the eyes of our spiritual understanding. Lord, make us stronger in our faith and in the way we live it because of these moments together in your word. For this we pray in the worthy name of Jesus. Amen. As we consider this truth, the the Bible teaches us that God is merciful, He's compassionate. I think that we can think about when Jesus went into Jerusalem around the time of the Passover, and that He looked upon the people of Israel and He saw them as uh, sheep that were scattered abroad, as having no shepherd. And looking upon the multitudes, He wept with compassion for them. And there was a heart within Uh, within Him that just beat for those people. And I believe that we need to learn something about this and about having a heart like His and having that shape the expectations that we have of ourselves and really more importantly, the expectations that we, we lay upon others. And I want to just say as I begin this message, this is something that the Lord has revealed to me in recent days, 
as I interact with people from the millennial generation and so forth, sometimes I, I can get an attitude that uh, is a little condescending because I want to try to project my past experiences onto others and, and raise a level of expectation of what, the, what I think they should be able to do or uh, what they ought to be able to perform. Uh, and, you know, I suppose our parents did that to us. We all have, have heard those age-old stories about mom and dad uh, walking through five feet of snow, uh, you know, five miles uphill both ways, you know, going to school every day and had to get up at four in the morning and milk the cows and feed the chickens and all of that. And, and uh, you know, it, it, we, we, we just hear all of that. And, and then they kind of project their experience into our lives and, and try to raise the level of expectation upon us. And, and I think that there's something about that that is prideful because what happens is, we set ourselves up as the standard by which everyone else will be measured. And it seems to me like there was a group in the Bible that personified that. Weren't they the Pharisees? I think they were. I, I don't know about you, but I don't have really good thoughts and feelings about who the Pharisees were. They were often rebuked of the Lord, but you know what? More than any other group, they tried to set themselves up as the standard by which everybody else should be judged. I know as a preacher that if you want to start criticizing a teacher of the Word or a preacher of the Word, there are some mean things that you can say about them. And I've, I've probably had about every mean thing said about me that could be said, I think. Maybe there's a few things left that haven't been said yet, but um, I'm not dead yet, so uh, <laughs> I have something more to look forward to, I guess. But one of the worst things I think that uh, a person might say about someone is they are a legalist. They're a legalist. Now, as a pastor, I never want to be called a legalist. I never want to hear from the flock, I'm not being fed. And uh, that so far, I've not heard that. Sometimes I've heard that I'm being overfed, and, uh, and, and, and they'd like maybe smaller portions, and I get that. But uh, nonetheless, something that most pastors never want to hear is that they're legalists. Yet, I know people that will very sanctimoniously point their finger at the pastor and say they're a legalist, but do you know, they personify legalism in the way that they live their lives. Because really, I think what people are meaning when they say they're a legalist is not in the theological, soteriological sense of the term. In other words, that you have to work your way into heaven, you have to obey God's law, to the letter, uh, every jot and tittle in order to merit heaven. Uh, that would be in the, in the soteriological, theological sense of the term legalism. Uh, perhaps we could go to the book of Galatians and, and understand that there were legalizers there that tried to add something on top of the finished work of God's grace uh, to find some measure of acceptance with God. And we would call that legalism. But I think as we experience life in the faith, we often feel like when someone sets the level of expectation for me that's with something that's extra biblical, and that becomes the, the standard by which I'm measured or accepted by God or man, that is what I call functional legalism. In other words, we call it performance-based acceptance. If someone doesn't perform to the standard that I have established for them in my mind, 
I'm not going to accept them. Now, folks, listen. All of us know and, and have seen this practice on some level. Perhaps we're even guilty of that. Someone didn't meet your degree of expectation, and so all of a sudden, we clam up. We're going to give them the silent treatment. Now, how many of you out there, be honest, have received the silent treatment? I, I've talked to people that have been so hurt by, by the silent treatment, they would have preferred when they were younger people to have been spanked by their parents than to have their parents go days without speaking to them. Because really what that communicates is, you're non-plus. You, you, you're, you're nothing to me. I'm counting you as nothing and really it communicates indifference and hatred, and really it is functional legalism. They didn't meet your standard of expectation, so you're not going to receive them whatsoever. And while that person might point their finger at someone else and say they're a legalist, they themselves at home and in their daily lives are practicing legalism on a day-to-day functional level in relationships. And folks, i got to tell you something. There is a difference between being accepted and acceptable. I said this a couple of weeks ago in one of our uh, services. I'm accepted on the basis of what Jesus has done for me on the cross of Calvary. But what I do may not be acceptable in the sight of God. And so, uh, friends, I think we need to let that soak in for just a moment. But there may be things that our loved ones do that are not acceptable behaviors, but do you know they should always know that they are accepted of us, that they have a place in our heart and in our home. And certainly that's something that the Lord, who knows everything about us, has committed to us. And I believe that we need to, to just consider these things. And as we, as we consider this, I want you to know, if you would, that God, as we read, He knoweth our frame, the Bible says. He remembereth that we are dust. So the standard of expectation that God sets is based upon the tolerances that He built within us. And He knows us all uniquely, for He is our Creator. If you have a moment there to turn with me, please go to Hebrews chapter number 4. And here we find another principle that reinforces what we're trying to communicate here. And in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 15, the Bible says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, and yet without sin. Now what we discover from this is that the God that made us and the God that loves us has been touched with the feelings of our infirmities. See, the Lord came to be made a sacrifice, but when He came to this earth, He walked and talked among us for 33 and a half years. And what we can safely discover from a study of the Word of God is that He experienced all of the things that we do. He knew what it was to suffer pain and to endure hunger and to be homeless and to suffer privation. He knew what it was to be rejected and to be betrayed. He, he knew what it was to be speaking evil, spoken evil of. And, and He knew what it was to work hard and to have to rise early and, and to go to bed late and go days without sleep. He understood the rigors of spiritual warfare and the demands of daily living because He lived them and He went through it perfectly. And so, you know, 
He's been touched with the things that touch us. And we know that whatever He calls us to do, He understands what it takes to do that for you. Because He made you. And with that in mind, I I want you to know that that helps the Lord as a father to pity His children. To have compassion upon them. And to remember that they're just dust. And not to have undue expectations of us that would only produce frustration and anger within our hearts. And so as we consider this tonight for a little while, I want to give you some thoughts. And the, and the first thought I want to give you on this subject is that of maturity. If you're just taking a note, just write down that word maturity in loving expectations. And, and if you would consider with me in the Scriptures, 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. And I think that this is something that we need to lay a hold of. For the Bible here says in verse number 11, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be also enlarged. You see here, the Apostle Paul is calling the church in Corinth to grow up in the Lord in the way that they love. To allow their love to begin to mature and to enlarge their hearts. You see, in this passage, and as we read throughout these epistles, we discover that there were certain areas in which the saints in Corinth were a little rigid and unbending in the way that they viewed the Apostle Paul. And whenever he didn't measure up to their exact specs for what a a missionary pastor should be and behave like, uh, then they felt perfectly justified in in shunning, speaking evil, talking bad about his uh, style of speech or his manner of ministry or questioning his credentials as as the Apostle of God. And, and so he's asking them to, to kind of enlarge their heart, to, to grow up in the way that they loved Him, to stop being so rigid and unbending that they cannot even consider the call that God has placed upon His life and the demands of ministry and to uh, taper their expectations of Him as a man on the basis of what God would allow them to see in the insights that they might receive. And so I believe that many of us uh, need to get out of this rigid box of thinking that uh, shapes our, our expectations of others at times and grow up in the way that we love others because I'm just going to give you a, a, a little a pointer here that uh, times change, people change, things change. And if we never change our thinking, we're always going to be a frustrated individual. If we never allow our heart to be enlarged as it were, then the problem is that we're going to continue to have expectations upon people uh, to do things that they did when maybe they were 20 and now they're 50 and their body won't do that anymore. Their health won't provide for that anymore. Maybe they've had some... uh, hurtful and destructive experiences in their life and now maybe emotionally they they can't bear up under the same load any longer and and so it's really immature of us to be rigid and unbending and not grow up in our maturity of how do we love a person that time and circumstance has changed and has 
kind of shaped into a, a different person. And we've got to just understand that, look, sometimes that happens, and God wants us to enlarge our hearts, to be mature in the way that we love one another. I'll never forget, many years ago, I was uh, called to a nursing home where a man uh, lay in a, in, in a bed of affliction there, and he was dying of, of a terminal brain tumor. And uh, he was a man in his 30s. And I got a call from his mother to come and visit. And, and I went that, that day over to the, to the west side and I visited this gentleman. And, and that particular day as he lay there in excruciating pain, just uh, less than three weeks before he would step from this life, and there on the, on the table next to that hospital bed were divorce papers. And I have to say to you that um, it was very difficult to offer comfort to a man that lay dying whose wife had filed for divorce and was refusing to allow his children to be at his bedside as he lived out his last days. And try to comfort a mother that was trying to make sense of, of bitterness and hurtfulness on that level. And I think that a mature heart would have understood that, look, these are different circumstances. And they require different expectations and behavior. And if we're so rigid and unbending, all we're going to wind up doing is not only make a bad name for ourselves, but make Christians look like idiots. Because we, we functionally live out legalism while saying we detest it in organized religion. One is not better than the other, my friend. We've got to be consistent in the way that we live that out. So, the uh, first word I want you to, to, to consider is maturity, and that is growing up in the way that we love, and not being rigid and unbending, but being able to see our heart enlarged, because God has enlarged it. I think about uh, what the Bible tells us in Psalm 119. It says there in one, Psalm 119, verse 32, I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. Well, what are the way of the commandments? Well, there are two commandments, really. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And, and number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And God wants to enlarge your heart to love as He has called us to love. I want to give you a second thought, if I may. And that is uh, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And if you would turn there, and as you're turning, I'm going to give you that word for you to write down. And that is the word empathy. Empathy. Now, think about the difference between sympathy and empathy. Think about that for a moment. Now, sympathy really indicates that I feel badly for the situation that you're in. So, I feel pathos. I'm sad. I have emotional sympathy for those that are in any distress. That's sympathy. But empathy is something else altogether. And really, I believe that these verses in 1 Corinthians 9 really begin to open our eyes to what it really means. In verse number 19 it says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. 
to them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now, down through the years, I've talked to people that have said, well, if I'm going to win you know, an alcoholic to the Lord, uh, I need to get down to where they are. I've I've got to be like them and act like them, so I'm going to go have some beers with them so that I can better understand them. They can relate to me. That's not at all what Paul is saying. He's not saying, I'm stooping to the level of sinfulness so that I can reach sinners. No, what he's saying is, to the Jew became I as a Jew that I might win the Jews. In other words, he was trying to put himself in their culture and in their belief system and their manner of living, trying to understand the dynamics of it all and certainly that he could he could because he was brought up in that tradition. He said uh, to them that were under the law, <laughs> as myself under the law, I, I'm going to put myself in their situation so I can understand how to best meet their need. Uh, that I can understand best how to care for their need. And so, really, that is empathy to a T. That's Him putting Himself in their situation so that He can best understand how to care for them. Now, I, I think that this is going to come back in all the rest of these points as we consider this whole idea of trying to project our own experiences into the lives of others and have that set the level of expectations that we have for their lives. But here, uh, Paul showed true biblical empathy. Uh, Sometimes uh, we talk about walking a mile in someone's shoes. If we do that, then that's an attempt to truly be empathic, to understand what they might be facing. Hebrews chapter 13 gives us another biblical insight to this. And in Hebrews chapter 13, the Bible says this in verse 3, Remember them that are in bonds. And it doesn't, if we stop right there, that might say, feel sympathy towards them, feel badly for them, but that's not where it stops. It says, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Now, I, I read a book some years ago and I, I was impressed by a chapter that dealt with the subject of empathy and it was written by a pastor who uh, mentioned in the book that he and his wife had uh, remodeled or redecorated their home and they had opened up a room that they wanted to serve as a prophet's chamber. That whenever missionaries or pastors came through town, that that could be a place where they could stay for an extended stay and they would just provide hospitality to them, or perhaps if a loved one or friend came through or needed a place to stay, uh, that would uh, be a place where they could stay. And they they set up a little uh, suite there for guests like that to come in and have all the comforts of home. And they tried to put everything into the, the room that they could think of that someone might need. But just in case they might have forgotten something, they came up with a great idea. And their idea was this, we're going to stay in the room for 10 nights. We're going to act as if we're guests in our home and we're going to live out of the suitcase for 10 nights in that room 
And that way, at the end of that period of time, we'll understand what it feels like to be there, and we will know how to best care for our guests who are coming to stay with us. You know, I believe that what the Lord would have us to do is to, is to love like that with an empathy, an empathic love that seeks to put ourselves in someone else's situation. You know, sometimes people don't need contempt, they need understanding. Sometimes what people need is not for you to give them a rebuke because they're not measuring up to the expectation of you as a believer, but maybe just a moment to try to understand the life that they may be leading. There are many people perhaps that don't uh, come into the church house as often as others, and yet God may view their sacrifice as more honorable and noble than those that happen to live just a few blocks down that are here all the time. Because maybe they've driven an hour. I, I, I know what that's like to live an hour away from the church and, and to try to be faithful every time the doors are open. And i got to tell you, it's, it's not easy. And sometimes when you're coming in a little late and people are leering at you and, and treating you like that somehow you don't have good character, the reality is that they for a minute need to put themselves in your situation. And you know, I, I've been on the receiving end of contempt when I wanted understanding. And so have you. And so, if you know what that feels like, let that determine the way that you love others and establish expectation out of a heart of love and understanding, not out of your personal experiences. Not out of the expectations that you have established. Understand, even God shapes expectations according to the tolerances that He built within us. For He remembereth our frame, he, he, he knoweth our frame, He remembereth that we are dust. And so God never lays one expectation upon us that He does not lovingly give us the grace to perform. So think of this word, empathy. Now, I want to build on top of that if I may, and I'm going to give you a third word, and that is the word charity. Of course, we know that that is godly love. And if you have your Bible, uh, go to Matthew chapter 7. And in Matthew chapter 7, we find something contained here that is often ascribed to a great American patriot, Benjamin Franklin. And uh, there are many people that say the golden rule is found in poor Richard's almanac. But the reality is that he got it from the book of books, and that's the Lord God Himself. And in verse 12, we find it here. It says, Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And so, as we consider this, that really is a working definition of how we fulfill the royal law. And of course, the royal law is found in Romans 13, verses 8 through 10, and we're commanded there to owe no man anything but to love one another. And we know there from a diligent read that, that if we love, loving is the fulfillment of the royal law, the Bible teaches us. And so how am I to love? Well, the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Aren't those the, the great commandments in the law that Jesus gave to the rulers of the Jews in Matthew chapter 22 when they came to try to ensnare Him and, and one very cautiously said, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And the Lord put the law back on Him and said, How readest thou? And thou, He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. You know, my friends, we know what it feels like to have expectations laid upon us that we think maybe are a little burdensome, a little cumbersome. They're on the level of pharisaical expectations because what they did was uh, they laid burdens on top of burdens for other people, but the Lord said, you yourself won't even do that. And so they had expectations of others that they didn't even have for themselves. And what the royal law teaches us is to love others as we would want to be loved. To treat others after the same manner that we would want for them to treat us. Now, we live in a two-story house. And uh, sometimes those, that, that staircase gets a little long, especially when you're tired at the end of a long day. And so when you go upstairs and uh, you're just getting settled in for the night, if someone's going downstairs, you sure appreciate it if they stop on the way down and say, hey, I'm going to the kitchen to get something to drink. Is there anything you'd like? You see, what that is, is loving your neighbors yourself. That says, I'm not just going to think of me How would I want someone to treat me in that situation? I'd want them to stop in and say, hey, I'm going downstairs. I'll save you the trip. Is there anything that I could do for you? You see, that builds on top of empathy. You see, empathy tries to put myself in their situation. And if I stop and I think, I know what it feels like to be tired. I know what it feels like not to want to have to go up and down these stairs. And, and, and maybe they're a little thirsty or a little hungry. What I would want is to love them with that empathic type of love, which would mean then that I'm going to love them as I would want them to love me. So instead of just thinking of my needs and my desires, I'm going to stop in and say, hey, I'm going downstairs. Is there anything I can get you while I'm there? Boy, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Would that... Uh, change the spirit of our homes if everybody just started loving everybody in that household like they want to be loved. I think that that would change a lot. And I think that uh, really that's the fulfillment of the royal law, loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. And, and, and allowing that to shape the expectations that we have of them. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. Whether they meet your expectation or not, Um, I'm quite certain that we've never met all the standards of the Bible, have we? None of us can stand up and say, well, look at me, I'm all that in a bag of chips. You know, I I am the, the, the great example of what everybody should be. It's amazing to me how many people I talk to that have all the answers for everybody else's life, but their own life is fraught with stress, chaos, and turmoil. But, but, but they know how to run everybody else's life. You know, the reality is sometimes we need to just take a step back and just be imbued with humility and have the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and let our love be uh, the thing that helps us to be more empathic with others.
and so that we're more gracious and kind in the way that we deal with them. Which leads me to my, my final points, and, and I'll move quickly, but these are very, very important. And I want to give you a fourth word, and that is the word family. Family. How do I try to appropriate these ideas into my family life? Well, I'm glad that you asked me that question. And so I'm going to tell you, in 1 Peter chapter 3, we find uh, some truth contained that I think would be ideal for us to lay a hold of. And first of all, I want you to understand that there are times when the Scriptures deal specifically with biblical roles within the home, the role of a husband, the role of a wife, the role of a mother, the role of a father, the role of a child in the family. And I can tell you this, that while there are times where the husband is directed of the Lord to love his wife, every other member of the family is still commanded to love every other member of the family. So it's not like that's just the husband's job to do the loving. Uh, no, it's everybody's job to be involved in loving uh, others as they themselves would desire to be loved, but within the context of family. And having said that, there are things that family members are called to do that really, if we took the time tonight, we would discover is the responsibility of every member of the family. But what we find here in 1 Peter chapter 3 and some teaching on what the Bible has to say about husband and wife relationships, says in verse 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now there are a number of things that I would like to tell you. I'm just going to share, you, share with you a couple of thoughts from out of this. The command is laid upon the husband and rests upon all of us really if we diligently search our responsibilities as children and as a spouse and so forth. But what we find here is that this husband is called to dwell with his wife according to knowledge. In other words, get to know her. Get to know what excites her and motivates her. Get to know what hurts her and what is uncomfortable and what causes stress. And, and try to understand the things that, that affect her life so that you can be the best husband to her that you can possibly be. It's amazing to me how many times uh, young couples will come in desiring premarital counseling and I'll begin to ask certain questions and I'll realize that there's a good deal about, uh, about them that they don't know about the other. And I encourage them to, to dwell together according to knowledge. But in this passage, it reminds something, it reminds the husband of something. It says, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Now, there are a lot of women that read through the Bible and they just kind of uh, pass over this and they kind of develop a, a, a negative bias towards the things of the Lord because they think it's chauvinistic here because it's somehow demeaning to women to say that they're weaker. And yet, what God is saying here is not less important, not less valuable, but the weaker vessel. And oftentimes, my friends, the weaker vessel is the one that is the most valuable. Uh, my wife at home has a, a curio cabinet, and inside there, there are a number of porcelain things that although they're small and they're very fragile, they're very costly. And what I would say to you is that God treasures those fragile things, and He's calling men to understand that 
their wives are different from them and not just physiologically. And that's something that we need to understand and have that within the forefront of our thinking to help modify our expectations of them. Sometimes we think, well, I'm going to do this and that and the other thing. I don't know why you can't work a 40-hour work week and come home and prepare the meals and do the dishes and keep up the house and care for the kids. After all, man, I'm working down at the factory for 40 hours and, you know, Lord knows I'm working hard. Let me take a step back. God called her the weaker vessel. If you ask her to go out and put in a 40 or 50-hour work week, is it really fair of you? Is it loving of you as a husband to have the expectation that she's going to come home and continue working until her head hits the pillow while you watch fishing shows and eat chips on the sofa? You know, the reality is that there's a, a lot of guys that their, their wife's on the way home from work and, and she's rushing to get home to try to care for the kids and take care of him and, 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 and he's getting off work and calling saying, what's for dinner? And having the expectation that all of those things are going to be taken care of. And yet, we still want them to bear in the responsibility of taking care of the financial obligations of the household. And the fact is that I think we need to take a step back and just remember that God says dwell with them according to knowledge. Take a step back and grow up in your thinking. Stop living in your little rigid, unbending box and enlarge your heart so that you can run the way of God's commandment to love others as you would have them to love you. To be empathic. Put yourself in her situation and think. She's got the concern of those kids, the, the worry about you, the, the care of dealing with a, a boss that's an idiot, and, and then coming home and having expectations laid upon her uh, that are higher than perhaps they ought to be. And fellas, I, I just want to challenge you. Put yourself in her situation for a little bit. Think about what she might be going through. And then call her up some, uh, some night as she's driving home from work, and just a minute she thinks you're going to say, what's for supper? Say, hey, don't worry about dinner. I'll bring something home. You know, it'll breathe a, a, a little a, a life into, into her bones. It'll, it'll add a little wind into her sails. It'll help her on a level. Why? Because lovingly, you've helped to pair the expectations to a place where they're manageable. It lowers the stress levels in everybody's life. And it causes you to dwell together at peace. And so, in, in family situations, we need to, to dwell with one another, beginning with the head of the household, according to knowledge. We need to try to understand what, what's going on with the members of the family. I have four girls, and that's a that's a wonderful thing, but it's frightening at times. And uh, I have uh, two sons, and and I love all of my children. I'd lay down my life for them in a minute, and never think twice, just like you would for yours. But you know what? My children face things growing up that that I never had to deal with. They have demands laid upon them that I never had to think about. And while Maybe I came up in a, in a more difficult time, didn't have all of the same kind of comforts and, and things that they might enjoy. You know, I didn't have to deal with the internet. I didn't have to deal with people saying mean things about me on social media. I didn't have to deal with classmates having a group chats and, and trashing me and I had, having to deal with that when I got to school. And I, I just didn't have to deal with certain of those things. You know, when I was a kid, you know, you couldn't put your 
hands on smut. You went to the 7-Eleven, it was wrapped up in a brown uh, paper wrapper, and it was behind the, the counter at the 7-Eleven store, and you had to be 21 years old to get it. We never had it. Now, the average kid is the age of nine the first time he views smut on the internet, and it's accessible on his handheld device. And the fact is that it, it poses a temptation upon kids that we didn't grow up with. Now, there's nothing new under the sun, and we know the Bible says there had no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But what, what we understand is this, that sometimes we need to take a step back in our families, dwell with them according to knowledge, and stop projecting our lives into the lives of others as though we are the standard by which everyone else is going to be judged. That our lives are the standard by which everyone else's life is going to be measured. And folks, I I just think that as much as we may despise legalism, that really is the personification of it functionally. And we've got to come to the place where we we develop loving expectations that are are shaped and paired by grace. It'll transform families. Dwell with them according to knowledge. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, and ye fathers... In chapter, chapter 6 and verse 4, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What does that mean? That means understand that they're kids. And don't put adult-like expectations upon them because when they can't perform, it'll just produce frustration and anger in their hearts. And you'll have to bear in the responsibility of having been the one that spawned it while you're chastening them for it. You see, it's... A matter of us dwelling with them according to knowledge. He, remember, he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. He pities us as the Father does His children. And, and you know what we need to do in our family lives? We need to get to know one another. We need to understand their tolerances. What buttons they, they don't like to have pushed and stay off of them. And we need to understand that often the things that we do can, can help to, to raise their spirits or dash their spirits. Last thing I want to say, and, and quickly I'll move to the end here. I'm going to give you the last word, and that's divinity. First, we started with maturity. We need to uh, grow up, enlarge our hearts, and let our hearts grow in grace and, and understanding. And then empathy, to put ourselves in other people's situation and allowing that to help us as we place expectations. And then... Uh, thirdly, we talked about charity and the royal law, loving others as we would want to be loved. And, and then on our family, dwelling with them according to knowledge and, and not provoking them by laying expectations upon them that are beyond the pale of expectation. And then, divinity. You know, the Bible says in John chapter 13 and verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you. You see, the Lord didn't say, I want you to love me the way, or you love one another the way you think it should be done. I don't, want, I don't want you to love the way you saw mom and dad love each other. I don't want you to love the way you saw grandma and grandpa love one another. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. So what is the standard being set there? Well, it's a divine standard. God says, this should be the passion of your life. 
to have a heart like mine, to, to live out the loving and gracious life of Jesus every day. And He'll give us the means with which to do it because 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is He that calleth you who also will do it. God calls us to a godly standard, not to a man-made standard whereby we, we are fraught with the problem of projecting the experiences of our lives into the lives of others and using that as the basis by which we measure them or accept them. You and I are not the standard by which others are to be measured. Friends, and it is not up to us to always be comparing others and going to the Word of God and using the Bible as a battering ram onto somebody's life. We need to begin by looking into the mirror of the Word of God and considering ourselves before we try to project anything onto the life of somebody else. You know what? There are a lot of people as young children that are demoralized because they're told, You'll never amount to anything. They're told things like, can't you ever do anything right? And pretty soon they're so filled with despair and negative uh, thoughts because of what's been poured into them, all the negativity that's been poured into them. They begin to own it. And it is, is it any wonder that we have such dysfunctional families when we have everybody trying to set expectations for everybody else on the basis of what they think or what they have personally experienced, rather than on what the Word of God would teach us. God is calling us to have a heart like His. Not necessarily to never have any expectations of, of our family, for certainly we have them. I want folks to be a part of the, the family Body politic, we want them to be involved. We want them to contribute. We want them to, to do their part, to be responsible. That's what we teach them. But, but folks, God is calling us through His Word not to get that out around, not to have the kind of expectations that would only produce frustration and then anger and strife. If you try to project your experiences onto the life of other people, it's pride in you to the bone. And I have to confess, it's something I've had to deal with. Sometimes I look at younger people and I think, man, when I was your age, you know, I was driving 1,500 miles a week, going to, to class every day. I drove 46 miles one way to school, and I did. When I was 18 years old, I, I drove 46 miles one way to school Every day, Monday to Friday, I had a 7.30 class. I had to be on the road by 5.30 every single morning in order to get to my classes on time. I took a full load in school. I, I had to keep up with everything. I had a bus route. I had a Sunday school class. I taught in junior church. I, I worked two jobs. And, uh, and I did all that community. I, I look at people and I think, you know, listen, you can't even get a stinking driver's license. What's the matter with you? When I was your age, I was, uh, you know, keeping all these plates spinning and, and uh, I, I was being a responsible individual. What's the matter with you? And the fact of the matter is maybe they grew up in a home where nobody ever owned a car. Maybe they couldn't afford it and they took the bus everywhere they went. I, I, I don't know. Maybe they never had parents like I did that prayed for them and grandparents that prayed for them and, and brought them to church and loved them and cared for them. Maybe 
Maybe they're a new believer and they, they just don't even know what that work ethic should look like and they're still in the learning curve. And So how is it right for me to project my experience onto them as the standard by which they will be measured and judged? It's not fair, is it? No, it's not. And it's been a conviction of my heart. And if anything tonight, it's my hope that through this study that we've had together, that we would develop a heart like His and that we would have loving expectations of those that we interact with on a day-to-day basis. And may we be more like Jesus is my prayer. Father God, thank You for this time. Lord, I pray that we would all take the truth of Your Word to heart. Help us, dear God, to seek to know Your will and to do it with all of our might. Lord, bless families. Help us, Lord, to develop a heart like Yours. And might we have loving expectations that are reasonable because Your will for our life is reasonable. Lord, help us, we pray, in the wonderful name of Jesus.